How about that worship team, huh? Give them a hand. Great job today. Lynn was watching uh, with her family at the coast this morning, uh, 9 o'clock uh, live stream, and I went ahead and announced her that go ahead and uh, put that in my that song for my funeral, right? So it's going, what a great song that is, that we uh, have, the, have the power through Jesus Christ for resurrection. Well, I'm out here just to make a quick introduction that uh, we have a special speaker today. He's a good friend. Scott Limerick, who is uh, the Campus International Church Relations Manager for the Southeast. I got to know Scott last year when Lynn and I traveled to Kenya with Compassion and opened my eyes to the ministry of, of Compassion International. And then we came back here and Scott came back in January. You as a congregation sponsored over 700 children for Compassion. Give yourself a hand for that. <laughs> Truly amazing. I talked about that last week in my sermon in the uh, sanctuary that uh, that uh, Dr. Kula uh, from Liberia reminded me that we need to have secret admirers uh, all over the world. And you have 700 plus secret admirers just through that one ministry, people that are admiring the work that you're doing for God. Well, Scott has a passion for the world. He travels all over the world. He is, uh, travels about 100,000 miles a year, traveling the continent and uh, representing Jesus. So give a, a hand, uh, my good friend, Scott Limerick. He's, he'll open our eyes to what it means to cover the earth because he does it all year long. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Jeff. Um, I wanted to come out a little early because I wanted to meet this guy you're introducing. I was like, who is that guy? Um, no one ever lives up to the introductions. It's kind of like your resume. Um, those, <laughs> those of you that are making hiring decisions, wouldn't it be great if everybody was as good as their resume, right? Um, I am honored to be with you. My name is Scott. Uh, love this church. Love this church. And I love that God's given me the opportunity to come and share some of what he's done in my heart, um, and maybe even more than in my heart, but in my soul and with my eyes. Um, as we wrap up this series on, on Cover the Earth, um, I had a hard time sleeping last night. I, I was a worship pastor for years, and... Um, the Saturday night before we would lead worship on Sunday morning was always restless for me. I was such anticipation for what God was going to do and praying that he would do things. And then sometimes you were, you know, a little bit of trepidation, that kind of thing. And I wonder um, if that isn't the way it should always be. Instead of on Saturday night going, well, I guess we got to go to church tomorrow, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I'm glad to be here. That's what I want you to know. It's like an honor for me and to help wrap up this series, kind of to be the transition from the Cover the Earth series to looking forward to uh, the holidays with Thanksgiving just around the corner. And um, as we do that, I want to let you know that I, I teach a little differently, okay? Um, the, the people that know me, Oakley and Janice and Grace Marie, Jeff, they know that I like to talk, um, and so I wanna to talk to you, and let's talk back and forth if we can. I may ask some questions. I want you to know I come from the African-American community. Um, we like to talk back and forth when we preach. So if you wanna stand up and point at me, uh, if some of you hear something that God moves in, that's okay, I'm, I like that. The, the point is, God's got something for us today, and I know that by the way he's laid it on my heart. I've learned that. Um, as, as someone that, that kind of proclaims the gospel, and I'm basically a missionary in residence now. Um, I go on like four to six international trips a year. In first worship, when Jeff introduced me, he had misheard that 
And he told people I went on 46 trips a year. And um, one of the guys here said I'd have been a lot cooler if I really went on 46 trips. So um, I hope you've had a chance to be here the last couple of weeks, right? The first week, uh, Dr. Kula from Liberia spoke, as, as Jeff said, uh, did an amazing job letting you know kind of the difference you're making in that part of West Africa. Um, Janice, Al can I just brag on Janice Albergati from last week? She just killed it. Uh, as your missions leader, talking about the things that your church is already doing. Mount Horeb is one of my favorite churches. My wife's on the front row. She will uh, testify to that. This is one of my favorite churches that I've been in. It doesn't feel like a big building with a bunch of people. It feels like a community. And that's the way church is supposed to be. And so I've been blown away by the messages so far. Today, we're gonna kind of piggyback on that. So here's your first question as we get started. Can anyone remember the chapter in the Bible, the book in the Bible, not the chapter, but the book in the Bible that we've used as the basis for this Cover the Earth series? Anyone remember it? Just shout it out. Yeah. <laughs> I can hear it. What was that again? Um, let me help. I'm going to give you a hint. Habakkuk, right? Habakkuk, what? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be something if God woke you up in the middle of the night and he says, Rachel, I want you to turn in my word to Habakkuk. I've got a word for you. Lord, I can't find that when I'm wide awake, right? Uh, I love what Janice said last week. If you want to find Habakkuk, look in the table of contents and start there. But you guys know this. When you have your Bible, if you open it up in the middle, what book do you tend to fall in? Psalms. Great. You're talking. Um, Psalms. So if you do that and turn right, that's where you find Habakkuk. It's almost to the end of the Old Testament. And I love this. I don't know if you um, study the people that God used to, to canonize, to write Scripture. God spoke it through people. But Habakkuk's a different dude, and I love him. I can relate to him. Um, we don't know. We think he may have been a worship pastor, believe it or not. Um, so I can relate to that. They kind of just say what's on their mind. Anyone in the room like that um, have a hard time hiding what you're really thinking, right? Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I, I almost, Kim, I almost wish you weren't at this worship because you're going to be like pointing at me doing, I knew it, I knew you was going to do that. Um, but she tells me that all the time, she'll say, honey, you've got to do something with your face when you're talking like that because you're not hiding how you feel. I said, I'm not, I didn't raise my voice. I didn't, she says, you don't have to, I can read it. Um, but when you've been, we've been together 41 years, that's kind of what happens when you're together that long, right? So that's where we're going to be as in Habakkuk 2 to start with, because I want to read that verse of scripture. Quick question. The idea is to cover the earth with the awareness of God's glory. How are we doing on that as a church? Not necessarily Mount Horeb, but church in general. Quick, quick question. Here's one. I know you've heard this before. What is the church? Is the church the building? It's the people in the building, pastor, right? I, I had like six people say that. You're right. Let me take that a step further. Something that I've learned in study. It's, um, it's the people in the church, right? It's the church, but the church is not the people in the building. It's the Christ followers in the building. I want you to think about that. So that's why when we people are like, man, the church is a mess today. The church really isn't. 
Christ followers are following God and doing what he says to do, right? It's not the church. Now, the people in that building may be a mess. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. I've been one. I am one. There's people that struggle with sin. I have. I have been that guy. So today, I want you to hear when we're talking about this, that it's not just, uh, this isn't a message for you. This is a message for all of us, because we all struggle with these things. None of us are where God wants us to be yet, right? And so that verse of scripture, Habakkuk 2, if you've got that, it says, for as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. So quick question, somebody just looking at that verse, this is, I'm, I like to use the uh, New Living Translation, what words stand out to you? I know what you're thinking. He's a pastor, I know he's wanting us to focus on the glory of the Lord. And that's true. I mean, no one is above the Lord, and he put us on this earth to bring him glory into the story. The, the word that gets me there is awareness. I wanna talk about that today. I wanna talk about something that I think we struggle with in today's churches, and in really more than in the churches, in the culture. We struggle with self-awareness. I'm not talking about self-centeredness. Because um, I think as a culture, we're almost always self-centered, but we're rarely self-aware. Self-awareness is when you realize some issues that you have, right? Because when you're not self-aware, everyone else knows the issues that you have. You're just the last one to come on board and realize that, if you do. Some of us struggle with being a little more stubborn and hard-headed. No, I'm not. I don't, and then every, how many of you have done Enneagram before? Raise your hand. How many know what you are in Enneagram? So usually the people above the age of 45 are like, the what? I'm not pregnant? Um, no, it's not that. It's a personality profile that lets you kind of know who you are. And if you really, my daughter is going crazy over that. But if you do the Enneagram to find out kind of what, what number you are, and everyone else does it, it really helps you understanding how to relate and work with and serve with other people. And so the way to really take that is to have the people that know you best with you and you read the question and you answer it and then you let them tell you if you answered it correctly. Those of us that are not self-aware go, yes, I do that, and everybody else goes, you do not. That is not you, right? So for those that wonder, I am an eight times 10 with a wing seven. And so the rest of you are like, I don't even know what he just said. Um, but the point being, it helps to have people that you trust around you to help you be self-aware. The problem is not the glory of the Lord. The problem is he's left kind of the awareness of his glory with his church, with his kids, with his people. And that's those of us that call ourselves Christ followers. The ones of us that have been branded with the cross right on our chest, We've taken up that cross, we've denied ourselves first, then taken up the cross, and we're doing what he's called us to do. That's Christ followers. That's who he's left the awareness of the glory of the Lord with. And I wonder how you think we're doing. Good, bad, what? Anybody care? Good, we're doing good. Actually, I agree with that. I think we're doing way better than, than the world thinks we are. I really do think that. Um, I get to see it when I go and I leave America. 
um, we've, become, we've become a bit of a mess. And I, let me tell you the two things I've noticed as I travel. Um, I've noticed that in the American, and I'm talking about the American church now. I want you to hear that. Because the American church has some things that God's doing with it that he's never done with any other church before. How awesome is it to be a part of that? And then he's got some things that he'd like to do that we're in our own way about, right? And let me tell you about that. I don't know if you've ever heard of the vacuum principle. The vacuum principle is when you go into a situation and there's an absence of something, and the vacuum principle says then something else is gonna take that place. If you're doing a small group and nobody's leading the small group, and it's just kind of disjointed and nobody's, it won't be long before the leader in the room will step in and become the leader of that. Have you noticed that, right? So what I wanted you to see is I've noticed there's two things that are absent in the church today. And it crushes me when I see it. And I don't see it as much. I didn't become self-aware of it until I left America. And I saw how much they, other people in developing countries are praying for you and me that we would get this back. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today is covering the earth with those two things that are absent now, love and gratitude. Love and gratitude. Perfect time for this message because this Thursday is what? Thanksgiving. So if there's two things that are absent, then that also means there's two things that are what? Present. Right? We're gonna talk about those four things and we're gonna do it really quickly, so I hope you're ready. We're gonna move pretty quick here. So um, when we do that, I want you to understand that normally when there's something absent, the thing that's present is the opposite of it. If I ever finish the book that I claim I'm gonna write, it's called God's Got This Thing Rigged. How many of are married now to a person that's the absolute opposite of you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kim, you want to stand up and sing hallelujah? Um, here's what, God's got this thing rigged, y'all. He knows that opposites do what first? Attract. But after about three years, when you're totally different, things start happening. You're like, what in the world? We don't have. So God's got it rigged. You can only, you can only learn to appreciate the differences, maybe even tolerate the differences and then celebrate them in his love, right? So what I wanted you to see is God tends to, that's just the, one, of, one of those absolutes that usually when there's an absence of something, the presence of something is the opposite. So if we're gonna start with the absence of love, let's start with what's present. What would you guess is the, abs, is the opposite of love? Hate. Everyone guesses that. I don't blame you. That's what I guess. One of my favorite Christian hip-hop songs says, love over hate, love over hate, I'm here for that, right? Um, Y'all got to understand, I was born in the inner city. My mom had a woman at the well story, uh, literally. We were the only white people on the street. I'm one of five kids. We have different dads. I have no idea who my dad was. She had no idea who my dad was. Even told me later, she actually thought she was raped, and that dude was my dad. Um... And you go through that. So I grew up in the inner city. And so I'm not the guy trying to be black, but I feel more comfortable in that. And so these songs that I listen to now that talk about love over hate mean something to me. But scripture doesn't teach that the opposite of love is hate. It teaches that the opposite of love is fear. Fear. I'm a belief that fear is destroying you and me 
with every minute of every day. We are crippled by fear, crippled with it. We won't do anything because of fear. We surely won't go serve in the Dominican. I just got back from the Dominican Republic like seven days ago. I had pastors saying, man, are you sure you want to go? Pastors, you sure you want to go there? People were dying. Remember when people were dying in the Dominican Republic, drinking bootleg whiskey and stuff like that? I said, well, dude, number one, God's got this. God said to go, and if God says to go, there's no safer place on the planet than in his palm. You understand that, right? The whole world can be going to hell around you. If you're right there in his hands, your days are numbered by him and him alone. Now, I'm not saying be foolish, because some people say, you just go over there, you're just being foolish. No, I'm not doing that. But if God says to go, I go. There's fear, he's defeated that kind of fear in me. But so many people in this room do go nowhere because you're afraid. You're afraid, you're crippled by fear. Um, You say, dude, listen, you don't understand, the world's crazy now. Terrorism, Um, I can't can't leave, listen, (laughs) we used to grow up and we never had uh, leftovers that stayed in our refrigerator long, but there's nothing for this boy to eat chicken that's been in a refrigerator for eight days. I'll eat that right now. <laughs> I remember I was playing in a softball tournament. I still play softball. It's crazy. I was playing in a softball tournament. Those of you that have played before, you know how you play in a tournament and you have to keep playing late at night? Concession, <laughs> this is a true story. Concession stand was closed and I was starving to death. And I went to the, I ran over the concession stand in between games. I said, man, I got to have something to eat. I'm about to die. It's like 1130 at night. And there was a half-eaten hamburger on a picnic table right there. I tore that thing up. Kim goes, please tell me you did not eat that. Yeah. When I was a student pastor, we used to go to the, eat pizza. How, how many student pastors know that pizza is manna from God, right? Um, we would go eat pizza. And the people that were there before us had left, but they left like six pieces of pizza on the thing there. And all of the kids were starving and it took forever. And I said, just grab that pizza. You don't know anything about them. I don't really worry about them. I know that pizza's gonna be great, right? So I get it. I've got this lack of fear that maybe is not healthy. I get it. But don't you think that maybe we're crippled by it? I love the song that Grace Marie and the team sang. Fear is a liar. It's a liar. It truly is. And it's destroying me and you. And we think, man, it's worse now than it's ever been before, Scott. You don't understand. I'm telling you, it's not. Let's read this in Habakkuk. Same, same, same book, same chapter. Actually, a different chapter. Um, But same book in the Bible, written, we think, maybe 700 B.C., which puts it around 2,700 years old. Listen to what he says. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. You could substitute terrorism there, but violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there's no justice in the courts. Let me insert this. One of the things that just crushes my soul is just, as I travel the world, is how many police departments are corrupt. I mean that. 
If you're a police officer, I said this in first worship, if you're a police officer and you do things the right way, God bless you. And may God continue to give you the courage to do it the right way, right? But I'm telling you, in some developing countries, you, there is no hope for people when injustice is just reigning supreme and maybe the most crooked people on the planet are the very ones that were supposed to protect you. That's what Habakkuk was saying here. It was happening then, just like it is now. He says, the law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. If I didn't, if you didn't know any better, if I worded that in a little different way, you would think that came from the headlines today. Wouldn't you? So I'm telling you, it's been going on. It really has. There's a few things. There's some, the evil has a few different faces, but the truth is evil has been evil since the enemy tried to ruin this thing and God said, no, I've, I've got this. And he squashed the enemy and that's the reason we don't have to have this fear that we have. What I want you to see is that God heard Habakkuk and a little bit later in verse five, he says, the Lord replied, look around the nations, look around and be amazed <laughs> for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. How incredible is that? So I need you to hear this. Those of you that are under the age of, say, 35, I'm running into this a lot as I speak with millennials. A lot of them are like, yeah, Scripture's a little old-fashioned, a little outdated. Uh, no, it's not. It will never, ever be outdated because it's the word of God, right? But more than that, it's actually God himself in written form. Like I used to say, I'm surprised that the pages of our Bible doesn't just get up and walk. And then I thought, scripture says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It actually did get up and walk in the person of Jesus Christ. The guy that caused me to go from being an intellectual atheist to a 196%, I'm trying to get four more percent, follower of Jesus Christ. This guy is undefeated. Death was undefeated till Jesus, is what I tell everybody. Right? And I see that as I go across the world. And more and more people are living in this confident, fearless way away from America. We're some of the, the most afraid, scared people on the planet. And it troubles me. It, it, it really, really, really does. God wants you to know he's still in the business. God wants you to know that he's, got, he's doing something even today. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen marriages that had no chance. I've seen God reconstruct them. All it takes, I'm serious, any issue is for both sides to just give up and give both lives completely over to God and let him fix that thing and he can do it. Now, will there be scars? Yeah. Listen, I know, scars are getting a bad rap. How many of you don't have scars? None of us. Not the only people that don't have scars are like three years old. And everybody's like, man, you don't understand. I've got scars. My, my heart's been scarred by this and this and this. I said, I get it. I do. I get that. But that scar is also a sign that you made it. You survived that. Let it be a reminder of what God did, not a reminder of what the enemy did, right? You see the difference there? Um, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And this absence 
that we've got of, of, of love in our life today that is, is being accentuated by this presence of fear is having us walking around almost with spiritual handcuffs on. You're bored with your walk with God? It's not God. If you don't hear another thing I say today, I want you to hear this. Um, God is always asking us to do something that's gonna put us right on the border of faith and fear. <laughs> Seriously. And if, you're not, if you haven't felt that lately, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I'm like, you're like, dude, you don't know me. I said, I got, you're right. But I know God. And I've been, I'm an old man now and I've been blessed to meet and counsel with a lot of people. A lot of people, 100% will tell me, man, God's always asking me to do stuff that's out of my comfort zone. Yep. That's just not convenient, correct? <laughs> you wanna meet God in a real way? It's rarely in a comfort zone. Rarely. But we're too afraid to get out of that. I'm not going to that small group. I don't know a soul there. Matter of fact, I don't think we ought to go to church this Sunday. I don't really know anybody. Well, how are you going to get to know people? <laughs> right? You won't get to know them by staying away. You're only going to have to face that fear. And I get it. I'm an extrovert. And the introverts are like, dude, you're like, you drive me nuts just listening to you. I get it. I do. I get that. But there's a flip side to that, right? There's a flip side to that. Let people in. Let people in and let God crush that fear in you. Um, one of my favorite sayings um, talks about how if you'll feed your faith, you'll basically starve fear to death. I'm just praying that we can start doing that. Feed your faith and watch God just starve fear to death. Um, now, fear is natural. I'm not saying be stupid. I've said that before, so I want you to hear that. But here's what I want you to know. So fear's there. The weapon to defeat it is what we said there's an absence of now. And what's it called? Love. Love is a weapon. It's a verb. It's so missing. It's so powerful. Nothing on this earth compares to the power of God's love. Nothing. The reason I don't continue to struggle with intense anger issues from, I was adopted illegally and the dude that adopted me was an abusive alcoholic and just created havoc for our entire family for 13 years. He died when I was 13, treated my mom like something beneath a slave. You wanna talk about angry? Reason I'm not that? Is the power of God's love. I want to talk to some men. Man, I, I get it. 
We got some junk that we're covering up, we're hiding, we're trying to ignore, and it comes out in some awful ways, it does. This pursuit of love in the world today, if we could put up on the screen the things that you and I have done in private, or even in public, in the pursuit of this love that's missing, it would embarrass us. But I want you to know that God is here to kinda uncover what we've covered up. And then once we uncover it and we let him kinda deal with that in our lives so that we can proceed to find out who he really made us to be, then he'll cover what you uncovered. Do you understand that? That's the way it works. I got too many people, in my opinion, too many people in church that are walking around like, oh, well, I just, I don't know, pastor, I just, uh, and they, on and on and on. I got dudes that act like that. You go to the gym, guys are moving weight around doing stuff, and you got a guy with a little Jesus shirt on, and he's walking around, I just, I just I, if I'm a man, why would I want to be a part of that? You understand? I want you to know that the church is not asking men to leave their masculinity at the door. God's begging for it to come out. And use this strength that he's given you to protect and to provide and to worship him. I wanna encourage you to do that, guys. The ladies are begging you to do that. I know that. Um, and this thing that we're talking about, this, this weapon that you can use to do that is this love thing. I'm not great at showing it sometimes, other times I'm better, right? Maybe you're the same way. God's telling us he's given us what we need to show that love. I want you to uh, read 1 John 4, 18. I'm gonna put that up on the screen. It says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love, some, some translations say casts out, but in this one it says perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with Punishment, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. The truth, what I want you to hear there is perfect love casts out what? Fear. That's how we get rid of fear, is love. And this world is dying for that love, an open arms kind of love. Not one that says, hey, you can come in here if you look this way, act this way. Let me see what your net worth is right there. You got, what are you, what are you doing? Um, that's one of the, I was a financial planner, and one, I've had four different careers, totally different careers, didn't want to leave any of them, and God drugged me to something else. True story, you can ask my wife. Um, and one of them, I was a financial planner, and I can't tell you how many times I would have an elderly couple in front of me that had just retired and gotten a lump sum, and he's 69 years old, and he's scared to death. He says, I don't have enough money. I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, really, let's talk about it. Let's see what you got. I looked at this stuff. I said, so I'm seeing around $650,000 here, right? Anything else? And he said, no, it's all I've got. I said, wait a minute. $650,000 is all you have. Yeah, and I'm, I'm 69. I don't have, I, everything I read says I need at least a million dollars. And Alan is a financial planner. Me and him are talking about this. Um, I would say, listen, before you do that, let's, let's look at what you're doing now. Like, what are you spending now? And, and what I would get at is that they were saving money still with what they already had. And he hadn't, I said, so why do you think you need that? It's because people have fed on their fear. And I said, dude, if you had a million dollars that you're not gonna need, you're not gonna spend what you have now. That's the truth, by the way. Unless you're wanting to buy you know, eight houses and be flippant with it, but you can have two houses and a place to live and still do really well. Just telling you, 
I've seen it, and enjoy what God's blessed you with instead of being crippled by fear that you're gonna lose it. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I told both of my kids, I said, I'm gonna leave you this amount of money. That's my goal. That's what I'm gonna leave you. That's what I'm gonna leave you. And I'll leave that for your wife and your husband, that kind of thing. And then above that, I'm giving the rest of it away. I just want you to know it now. And number two, I'm also gonna start giving that to you now while you need it. That's one thing I learned too, financial planning. You, you, we leave all this crazy wealth with our kids when we die and we leave it to them when they're 61. They don't need it. They needed it when they were 32. Amen? Preach. Just telling you. You're, you're driving around in your nice car that says I'm spending my kids inheritance. We don't think it's funny. I'm just kidding. Um, but what we would like for you to do how about you take some of that now and give it to us while we need it? You can ask my wife. I've started doing that. Seriously. And I said, now when we die and we're in heaven, you ain't getting quite as much. Remember all these years. And that's going to take us to the next thing. That's what I want you to hear. The, the next thing that's happening is this, this uh, absence of gratitude. I think we have it. I think we have it. Um, I think we have a, a huge absence of gratitude in the world today, and it's the thing I pray about for my kids so much. Like, guys, can I just tell you this? It's common now for a 25-year-old dude and a 23-year-old girl to get married and expect their house, their first house, to be what their parents worked 40 years for. Is anybody tracking with that? Now, you tell me how that's gonna end up. It's never good enough. I am convinced HGTV is of the devil. <laughs> Kim, we're going to iron out our differences in front of everybody right here. <laughs> I am Chip, and she's Joe. Um, and it's like that. That's us. Chip and Joe, the property brothers, flip and flop and all that. Your house is, looks pretty cool right now, but you just finished the upgrades from 2016. And I just saw on the show, nobody's doing that anymore. We need, we, we need shiplap in here. What is shiplap? Right? Let me, just, to, just to prove that we've got a problem with this discontentment in the world, I want you to look at this video and see if you might recognize yourself that talks about the lack of gratitude that we have today. And it's comical, but I love it. It's true. Let's, let's watch this. The following is a collection of tweets tweeted by a man lacking an old school value that's needed in a new school world. I had to watch a 3D movie because I didn't want to wait for a 2D showtime. Hashtag first world probs. I have no place to put my leftovers from dinner. I've got too much food in the fridge. This free coffee, it's just too weak. The Wi-Fi at the house just went down. Now what am I gonna do? <sighs> My fat pants are now just pants. <sighs> I've got too much chips for my dip, but if I open more dip, I've got too much dip for my chips. My oldest is watching the 50 inch. My youngest is playing games on the 45 inch. My wife's watching the iPad and I have to watch my shows on my new iPhone 6. <laughs> Our grocery store 
It's just too big. I know the donuts on Sunday are free, but where are the jelly-filled ones? <sighs> so, what's funny is I almost didn't play that today. Because it's one of my favorite videos from a couple of years ago. And I said, I'm going to bring it back. Because I guarantee you when I play it, there's going to be 80% of the people that go, iPhone 6. I've got an 11, dude. Like, which proves the point even more, right? Like, listen to some of these stats. Crazy stats. The average American home has tripled in size over the last 50 years. But it's not big enough. We're having to rent storage now to put our extra stuff in because we don't have enough room in our homes that are three times the size of our parents. Think about that. The, the British research found that the average 10-year-old owns 238 toys, average 10-year-old, and plays with 10. My wife would tell you the average man has 238 toys and he plays with six of them, right? She gets on me about all the t-shirts and the things that I have. Um, listen to this one, Money Magazine, this is gonna pick on the girls a little bit, forgive me. Money Magazine says that ladies in America spent $30 billion on shoes alone. And the men are elbowing them right now, but men, it says we spent $26.2 million on shoes, and it's trending in such a way that in just a few years, we'll spend more on shoes than, than the, the women do. Now, I don't know if there's any other men in the house, full disclosure, I spend way more money on clothes than my wife does. And it is embarrassing to me when I go to these other countries and realize I've got plenty, I've got too much, it's time to put a stop to that, right? I want you to hear this. Um, we say those stats all the time. The one that troubles me the most is every day Americans spend six, $600 million on food they won't even eat. While the world around us, much of it, is living on a dollar and 95 cents or less a day. Now, this isn't to be heavy, but what I wanted us to do is I wanted us to hear God is asking us to be grateful for what he's already given us. Um, this absence of gratitude is causing some real issues because once you're grateful and you realize that what you have is enough, then you're able to take the extra that God's given you and help other people just have enough. There's a, a, a picture in our house. My wife will tell you it's a true story. I have such a heart that my kids would be grateful and that I would be grateful that there's a, 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 sign, a, a little picture in our house and this is what it says. It says, um, gratitude turns what we have into enough. Listen to this story, true story. A friend of mine from Compassion was in Kenya in a 10 by 10 hut with the mom and her five kids, five or six, can't remember how many kids, there's a lot of kids, six or seven people living in a 10 by 10 square, T-I-N, roofed building. But she was just filled with joy. We see it all the time. And he was there, and the group of pastors were there, and they were all heartbroken, but they were inspired by her joy in the middle of that. And so my friend asked her, he said, hey, so we thank you for allowing us to come to your home. It's a beautiful home. You seem to be so full of joy. Where does your joy come from? And we call that, and I used to work in radio and television, 
doing interviews or sometimes as a pastor, you ask questions that you know you're gonna get the answer to. So what was he expecting her answer to be? Would somebody please say it? Where does your joy come from? Jesus, from the Lord. That ain't what she said. She said, um, see, you, you come from America. In America, you guys have God and you have things. And here, all we have is God. My prayer is that we can cover this earth with love that's real, open-armed, something just as simple as a smile, even. A smile that you mean. We can tell when you don't mean it, right? A smile that you mean can change somebody's day. And that day can change, I'm serious. Y'all go, oh, you sound like Zig Ziglar. I'm just telling you, it's the truth. A smile. Maybe paying for the person's food behind you in the drive-thru. Do it more than once. And how about this? When you do it, don't tell anybody you did it. Right? Because it's love. Because you're grateful for what you have. That's how God covers the earth with the awareness of his glory, is that kind of love. Amen? I appreciate your time. My prayer as we close is that you'll let God begin something new in you today. I know without a doubt that many of you in this room are just doing the church thing and your walk with God has struggled. It's almost gotten bored, boring. I'm praying that today that'll change. And I pray that we can leave here and we can cover the earth with love and gratitude and God's glory for this Thanksgiving. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, I love you. I do. Um, so thankful that each one of these men and women and their families took time out of their day to be in your house. That they came not just to, you know, check a box that they went to church, but they came to worship you, the King of Kings. And I pray you change some things in our hearts and our lives and that you teach us to love in a way that we've never loved before, with open arms. The world is dying for this kind of love. People are coming to churches looking for it, and when they don't see it, they just quit coming to church. I pray you forgive us for that, your children. Praying this Thanksgiving, beginning today even, that you'll help us cover the earth with your glory. In your name I pray, amen.